everyone. Greetings and welcome back to Rounding the News and Happy Halloween. Do you like my costume? The funny reality is this is generally how I dress in my everyday life. I have to admit that to you. Anyway, welcome back to Rounding the News. This is your weekly news roundup presented by Rounding the Earth, a popular Substack series written by Matthew Crawford, which has turned into a burgeoning research community working hard every day to unflatten the earth. I'm your host, Liam Sturgis, coming at you live from Vancouver, Canada. I am very excited to take you down a bit of a rabbit hole today that will bring some unexpected surprises and help contextualize some of the ongoing questions surrounding who exactly is running things these days. Don't forget to subscribe to us on YouTube, Rumble, and Rockfin, as well as at roundingtheearth.substack.com. We are community-sponsored, and you can contribute to our research and education efforts by sending us a super chat or Rumble rant or a tip on Rockfin. Now, as usual, if you can hear me, give me a quick thumbs up in the live chat on either Rockfin, Rumble, or YouTube. It looks like we are good on... Let's see all of them. Good stuff. Okay, so let's get started. Jumping back a slide here. Today, we've got health. Leslie Jordan dies, crashes car. Law, Nova Scotia court reverses COVID protest ban. Geopolitics, our big story. Who is Rishi Sunak? And in culture, Elon Musk buys Twitter. So that's fun. Let's jump into it, friends. First things first, actor Leslie Jordan dies and then crashes his car. Leslie Jordan was in Will and Grace. No, Will, Frank and, Will and Grace? Will and Frankie? Oh, man. Frankie and Grace. Grace and Frankie. Anyway, that show and a bunch of other stuff, by all accounts, a wonderful actor. On Monday this past week, actor Leslie Jordan suffered a medical emergency while driving and crashed his car into the side of a building in Los Angeles, California. For several weeks leading up to the incident, Jordan had reported experiencing shortness of breath and had made an appointment with a cardiologist. At this time, it would appear that Jordan experienced a fatal cardiovascular event leading to the crashing of his car. It does not appear, though, as though he died from injuries sustained during the accident as he was declared dead on the scene. Furthermore, the recording of the official cause of death was, quote, deferred, suggesting further investigation was required before a conclusive cause of death could be reached. This is a screenshot, I believe, from the L.A. County Medical Examiner via Yahoo Entertainment. So um, it's, it's very unfortunate. And sadly, this is yet another in a seemingly endless line of sudden deaths across the world, which is now capturing more and more people who are very visible in the public eye. As of 1 p.m. Eastern time today, died suddenly, in all caps, was trending on Twitter in Canada with some 30,100 tweets. Into law. Nova Scotia judge rules COVID protesters should not have been penalized. The Nova Scotia Court of Appeals has ruled that an injunction prohibiting COVID-19 protests should not have been granted in the Canadian province last year. From CTV News, I quote, 
The original sweeping court order was granted by Provincial Supreme Court Justice Scott Norton on May 14, 2021, the day before three outdoor gatherings were planned to protest public health restrictions brought on by the pandemic. The judge effectively banned public gatherings planned for the next day, basing the decision on evidence from the province's chief medical officer of health that the outdoor gatherings would spread COVID-19. The Canadian Civil Liberties Association, represented by lawyer Nasha Nijawan, later appealed the order, arguing it was too broad and allowing it to stand would be a violation of charter rights. An appeal of three, sorry, a panel of three appeal court judges unanimously sided with the civil liberties group, ruling Wednesday that Norton was wrong to grant the ban without opponents being able to attend the hearing. I believe that's called ex parte. Kara Zwibel, a spokesperson for the Canadian Civil Liberties Association, said in an email that the decision is, quote, a strong signal to governments and courts across Canada that the charter cannot be ignored when responding to urgent public policy issues. Premier Tim Houston, 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 said, or Houston, maybe, said Wednesday that it's too early to say whether the government will appeal the court's ruling. However, Houston wasn't critical of the actions of the former liberal government, which sought the injunction. At that point in time, governments had a collective responsibility to keep people safe. And I know that's what the intention of the government was, Houston said at the legislature. Well, hopefully other courts also find that the charter should not be violated in such uh, random circumstances as, well, someone said it might spread COVID, which even at that point, um, well, we all know the rest. Now, we're going to jump right in with a sponsor because we've got a long segment coming up on Rishi Sunak. So let's jump right in. A word from our sponsor. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to introduce you to Globalism, a critical appraisal. Our friends over at IPAC EDU have or are just about to launch a new course on today's most controversial political ideology, globalism. Many of us have only just become familiar with this term over the last two and a half years as a result of the mad ravings of the World Economic Forum Chairman Klaus Schwab. But did you know that this ideology has been around for far longer than Uncle Klaus and its machinations hiding in plain sight across our institutions? This new class taught by Agnes Agnes that's a name I need to learn to pronounce, but she goes by Aga Wilson. We'll dive deep into the global community, its political systems, and the underlying ideology that drives it. Launching in January 2023, the course will cover such topics as the League of Nations, industrial corporate complexes, the rule of international law, global public health systems, and most importantly, solutions for how to exit the matrix, so to speak, and return to a reality of self-determination in harmony with the peoples of the world without succumbing to totalitarianism in the name of the global good. The course will also include guest presentations from thought leader Jason Kristoff and World Health Organization whistleblower Astrid Stuckelberger. Register for Globalism, a critical appraisal today by visiting IPAC.edu and save 5% on the cost of tuition when you enter coupon code EARTH at checkout. The link to that is in the show notes. Thanks, IPAC-EDU. So now, let's get in to the reason we're all here. As Jen Slavin says in the chat, thumbs up, yes, we can hear you. That's great. And Monkey King 1981, excellent topic. 
I completely agree. The backstory is I had no idea what I was getting into. But let me let me stick to my script here. So the UK has a new prime minister. Again, there's a sense of whiplash. It goes without saying in the United Kingdom at the moment with the power of both the government and the monarchy rapidly changing hands multiple times in a very short period. After the resignation of Boris Johnson and the comically short tenure of Liz Truss, the United Kingdom is now welcoming its third prime minister to occupy the post in the year 2022 alone. This is, of course, amplified by the unfortunate passing of Queen Elizabeth just under two months ago and the swift transfer of the monarchy to the former prince, now King Charles. As an outsider looking in, I have little context or lived experience that would allow me an instinctual understanding of the cultural and psychological impact of this whirlwind. I imagine I'm not alone in wondering who exactly is this new prime minister? Is this just another in a long line of politicians bought and paid for by the establishment? Or is he a buck to the system? Let's see what we can find out. Who is Rishi Sunak? Rishi Sunak is a 42-year-old politician born in Southampton, England in 1980. He's a young buck. His parents were born in the African countries of Tanzania and Kenya, their own parents having previously immigrated from India. The pair separately immigrated to England, where they met and married. His father worked for the National Health Service, while his mother operated a pharmacy that later employed Sunak as a bookkeeper. In short, Sunak's family history is a classic story of a multi-generational immigrant family whose son achieved great things as a first-generation Briton, not the least of which is becoming the first non-white prime minister in the country's history. It's not bad. Skin to his education and his early career. Sunak attended Winchester College, an elite private school that has produced a number of very powerful people over the years. He even served as head boy while attending, whatever that means. Some examples of his fellow alumni are David Clementi, former governor of the Bank of England and chairman of the BBC, that's the British Broadcast Corporation, David Hannay, attendee of at least two meetings of the highly secretive Bilderberg Group, and Roundell Palmer, who was Minister of Economic Warfare under Winston Churchill during World War II. He then went to Oxford University's Lincoln College, where he reportedly did very well. After graduating in 2001, he was hired as an analyst by Uberbank Goldman Sachs. He worked there until 2004, at which point he jumped ship to earn his MBA from the Stanford Graduate School of Business in 2006 as a Fulbright Scholar, which is an international education exchange program. Interestingly, as you can see on the screen here, it would seem at least some of his professors at Stanford don't have any memory of him attending. From the Daily Mail, I quote, 
Yet, when approached by DailyMail.com on Monday, Sunak appeared to have had little effect on the 137-year-old school, with his former professors admitting they had no words they could say about their student. Irving Grausbeck said that he had, quote, no recollection of him to share, while Andy Ratzleff added that he, quote, does not remember the soon-to-be prime minister, who was one of 400 in his graduating class. Several others also confirmed that they did not remember the new PM, with many saying they didn't have any recollections other than a vague one of a, quote, very bright student. Very interesting. But let's put a pin in that for now. As Monkey King 1981 says on Rumble, I believe Headboy leads the Quidditch team. <laughs> Very clever indeed. Now, uh, it's interesting. You see he's wearing the Stanford shirt. Uh, like I said, let's not dig too deep necessarily into whether or not he actually attended the school. So look, Completing his MBA at Stanford, Sunak returned to the United Kingdom to join the Children's Investment Fund Management as a partner. TCI Fund Management was founded by a Brit named Sir Chris Hone, assisted by a gentleman named Patrick de Gorsi. Now, as you can see, I tried to get pictures of these two gentlemen, but when you Google either one of their names, it's the same person who comes up in the images section. It's, it was at first, in fact, very confusing for me to try to figure out this guy who is pictured here. Is he Chris or is he Patrick? And I believe this is, in fact, Sir Chris Hone. Patrick de Gorsi, on the other hand, for some reason, there doesn't appear to be any photos of at least readily available so i put a little missing poster because surely we need to locate him have you seen this man now look this isn't in my script i'm just going to point out that's now two kind of omissions of history one there's some missing confirmation of his attendance at stanford which again i'm not going to read into i specifically am choosing not to read into it but then it's interesting that now this uh gentleman patrick de gorsi in the story is also not uh, very visible but don't worry he'll be back so these two founded TCI Fund Management, uh, and they also co-founded its sister organization, the Children's Investment Fund Foundation. Now, while I hadn't previously heard of TCI Fund Management, I am familiar with CIFF. I first learned of it during a July 2022 presentation at the World Council for Health General Assembly by Fari Hassan who laid out the conflicts of interest underlying the infamous COVID-19 Together trial. I highly suggest watching his entire video presentation, which is linked in the show notes, because it's fantastic and it goes beyond what I'm about to cover here. For those who aren't familiar, the Together trial was a huge multinational research initiative that managed to torpedo ivermectin as an institutionally supported therapeutic for COVID-19 among other things it did. Here is a screenshot. This is the slide from Hassan's presentation that I remember seeing. As you see, I have a nice little animated circle that is highlighting where Children's Investment Fund Foundation is located on this map of crazy logos. As you can see, it's included in a cluster of organizations providing research funding to one Dr. Francois Venter, 
a principal investigator in the Together trial. Now, I don't take anything that I find on the internet at face value, neither should you, including this show, by the way. That's why I give show notes. But I went to independently verify that what uh, Dr. or what um, what Hassan was saying was true. And I managed to do that by tracking down um, another example of a work, uh, a piece of work of his. This is um, a study from a more. So it's a more recent paper from December 2021. And if you look in the conflicts of interest section, you will see that indeed. Dr. Venter has been funded by Children's Investment Fund Foundation. But how many other problematic funders can you spot in this paragraph? So within the context of the TOGETHER trial, remember the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, a whole bunch of others that are about to appear in the COI section. So from here and the COI section here on a separate paper, CIFF, the Children's Investment Fund Foundation, is rubbing elbows with the likes of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, with the National Institutes of Health, UNIDAID, the Foundation for Innovative New Diagnostics, or FIND, USAID, which I believe is a known CIA front, uh, but I have no, I have no citations. Sorry, um, Merck, Gilead Sciences, Johnson and Johnson, and a few lesser known but still very relevant entities controlling the global COVID nineteen situation. So now. A quick search of the handy-dandy campfire wiki reveals a few more connections. This is a set of backlinks. So these are all the pages that I or the people working on the campfire wiki from Operation Uplift. We've already compiled a number of connections from this CIFF. And wow, this organization has been busy working in various forms with very influential organizations worldwide. The Camber Collective, for example, is a consulting firm that works with the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and the World Health Organization. The Crown Agents is a coalition of powerful banking interests and supranational organizations. Options Consulting Services is another WHO consultant that also works with the governments of the United States and United Kingdom, as well as United Nations agencies. And this is just a sampling of who CIFF is associated with. Use the Campfire Wiki to your advantage, folks, and go down the rabbit hole that I and the Operation Uplift team have helped open up for you. You know you're curious. You can access that, campfire.wiki. Okay. So that's all very interesting, right? Sunak worked for this organization between September 2006 and November 2009. It's the next part of his career that gets really, really interesting. So, after leaving TCI Fund Management in 2009, Sunak joined a new firm called Thelem Partners as a founding partner, which launched in October of 2010. But the move wasn't without a bit of drama because Patrick DeGorsey, remember, he's the guy whose photo I couldn't find, who helped, who, who co-founded CIFF and the management fund for it. He was also the founder of this new venture, 
from The Guardian. Around the time of the 2008 financial crisis, TCI split. Patrick DeGorse, a co-founder with Hone, left to start his own fund called Telem Partners, taking Sunak to America with him, where he invested in companies including News Corps and the U.S. hospital group, Community Health Systems. Guess what else Sunak and DeGorsi's new firm invested in? Whoa. As it turns out, Telem Partners bought into Moderna long before most people in the general public knew what mRNA was. From the Wall Street Journal, the first time hedge fund manager Patrick DeGorse met with biotech company Moderna Inc., it was a Hail Mary effort to find a cure for his wife. It was 2011, and the woman who was his high school sweetheart before marrying him had recently been diagnosed with stage 4 lung cancer. Mr. DeGorse enlisted several friends in his search for treatments, including experts in cancer and thoracic surgery. One had told him he should meet with Moderna, then a startup near Boston that had about 10 employees. He was so intrigued by what he heard that he began personally investing in the company starting in 2012. He also gave a $500,000 grant to fund Moderna's initial expansion into cancer research, including the hiring of its first two oncology scientists. Few investors are better positioned to benefit from Moderna's rise than the 51-year-old Mr. DeGorsi and his $2.5 billion London hedge fund named Telem Partners LLP, which had a quarter of its fund in Moderna earlier this year, in 2020 that is, and is one of the company's 10 largest shareholders. It now has a roughly 20% position. Holy. So, the hedge fund that Sunak joined in 2009 and launched in 2010 made first contact with Moderna in 2011, the same year, I might add, that Stefan Bansell became CEO. Put in the comments if you know where he came from and what he did just before he joined up with Moderna. Or, yeah, with Moderna. It's a little more complicated than what you see on the screen. In 2012, Sunak's boss, Patrick DeGorsi, personally invested in Moderna and paid for its expansion. Meaning, oh, sorry, Sunak was one of the executives managing Telem Partners' U.S. office. Meaning, he would have had direct oversight of the firm's interest in Moderna. By early 2020, Telem Partners had a quarter of its fund in Moderna, making it one of the company's 10 largest shareholders with a roughly 20% position as of October 2020. Starting to see the picture here. Okay, so Sunak stayed with Telem Partners until 2013. He then returned to the United Kingdom and began as director of Catamaran Ventures UK, along with his wife an investment firm he incorporated with his wife in June 2013 in partnership with his father-in-law's Indian company of the same name. Catamaran holds positions in, look at this, Elon Musk's SpaceX and Reddit. 
which is kind of a funny, you know, combination. But if you think about it, these are actually both quite relevant to our current situation. As Quiet Coney mentions on Rumble, a company that had not put any medical device on the market before the quote unquote pandemic. Totally normal. You know, Coney, I don't know if we could call any of this normal. So, entry into politics. According to his profile on Encyclopedia Britannica, Sunak dipped his toes in with the British Conservative Party in 2010 and joined a think tank called Policy Exchange soon after that. Policy Exchange, for the record, recently hosted an interview with Bill Gates. So that shows you their taste in people, for better or worse. He was chosen to run for federal office, Sunak, not Bill Gates, thank goodness, on behalf of the Conservative Party in October 2014, winning the race in 2015, becoming a member of parliament. He resigned his position as director of Catamaran Ventures UK in April 2015 and then was re-elected in 2017 and 2019. He was pro-Brexit. He supported Boris Johnson's appointment as party head. This apparently paid off as Sunak was then appointed to the elite Privy Council and Chief Secretary to the Treasury. Now, I'm no political expert, but those sound like pretty important positions to me. But apparently, it's not just us foreigners who had no clue this guy even existed until literally this week. As written in The Conversation, quote, he was largely unknown outside the party until 2020. A new MP making his way in Parliament, impressing people, but not holding high office. However, things change quickly in politics, and the resignation of uh, Sajid Javid in February 2020 left an opening in government. Johnson handed Sunak the job of Chancellor, one of the greatest state roles in the UK. His honeymoon in the role was cut short, by the arrival of COVID, Sunak found himself not only having to deal with the financial impact of a pandemic, but was also tasked with appearing on television on a practically daily basis to update the country on his decisions. So I think at this point, it's fair to say that Sunak has wound up with a bit of a conflict of interest, as described in The Guardian in November 2020. Headline, Rishi Sunak refuses to say if he will profit from Moderna COVID vaccine. The chancellor, Rishi Sunak, has refused to disclose whether he will profit from a surge in the share price of the COVID-19 vaccine. Manufacturer Moderna, one of the biggest investments held by the hedge fund he co-founded before entering parliament. It is not known whether the chancellor retained any investment in the Talem Fund after leaving. Talem is registered in the Cayman Islands, a tax haven which does not make company records public. How convenient. Ordinarily, a partner in a hedge fund would own a stake in the management company and have money invested in its fund. A year ago, Sunak declared in the list of ministers' interests that he was the beneficiary of a blind trust. The contents of the trust have not been disclosed to the public. Stock market filings show that Talem has a $500 million or 377 million pound investment in the US-based Moderna, which accounts for around 20% of all the money it manages, about two and a half billion dollars, that is. 
Shortly after the news of Moderna's successful trial broke, the health secretary, Matt Hancock, revealed that the government had secured an advance order for 5 million doses of the vaccine. The chancellor appears to have retained contacts with his former firm. John Sheridan, a partner at Telem, was reportedly asked by Sunak to build a financial model for the government's business loan program. Sunak was in a very powerful position during the government's deliberations on COVID-19 policies. He was part of the quote-unquote quad committee set up by Boris Johnson to make decisions with secrecy in mind, comprised of Boris Johnson, Matt Hancock, Michael Gove, and Sunak. To this day, Taylam Partners has disclosed owning 6,353,406 shares in Moderna. That is a value of $907,727,000. That is almost $1 billion. New British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak is richer than King Charles III. How wealthy is he and where did it come from? Well, for now, folks, I rest my case. The truth is, we know actually where a lot of his money came from. It came from his father-in-law. But I didn't even have time today to get into Infosys, the company that made his father-in-law so rich, or Sunak's relationship with the World Economic Forum, which is what most people are talking about. There is so much more to this guy that needs exploring. So stay tuned on that and let me know what you are able to learn about this gentleman. All right, now, time to wrap things up with a bit of culture, if you can call it that. Elon Musk really did buy Twitter, and people have some requests. After months of will-he-won't-he drama, Elon Musk has officially bought Twitter, or at least I believe the deal is supposed to close today. And according to Salon, he has declared himself King Twit. As I was finishing writing today's show, I saw that the Twitterverse was publicly calling for Musk to reinstate the large number of people who have been permanently banned from the platform for such charges as medical misinformation, despite being top professionals in their respective fields. Dr. Peter McCullough was trending, with 6,506 messages mentioning him specifically. If I understand correctly, McCullough is the most cited cardiologist in the United States, at least as it relates to COVID, meaning his peer-reviewed, published research is not something that can be waved away so recklessly, as Twitter has done, and as I have an unfortunate feeling uh, YouTube might do to rounding the earth after this video. Others, meanwhile, are naming doctors Robert Malone, Pierre Corey, and Kat Lindley as additional examples of leading physicians and researchers that fell victim to a censorship campaign mounted by the White House itself, as has now been revealed in court documents. Allow me to join in to the chorus. Reinstate these brave, hardworking professionals who stood up under hellfire 
to protect their patients and ensure the well-being of as many people as possible in the United States and indeed worldwide. It's only right. So thank you guys so much for tuning into this week's Rounding the News. I have been Liam Sturgis. That's me on the screen there, though I'm wearing a normal suit and not a tuxedo in that one. And you can find me at www.liamsturgis.com or at the Liam Sturgis on Twitter. Don't forget to subscribe to us here on YouTube, Rumble, or Rockfin, or on Odyssey, BitChute, or Brighteon, where we also publish our videos. Finally, become a subscriber of the Rounding the Earth Substack and support our shows by sending us a super chat, a rumble rant, or a tip on Rockfin. Anything you can send counts, and it keeps us going. And as a bit of a preview, coming this Tuesday, we have Alex Washburn and Kevin McKernan here to discuss Alex's new preprint study, the synthetic fingerprint of SARS-CoV-2. Now, I'm excited for this because I, I read the paper and it asserts that, yes, indeed, there is evidence to show this was a lab-made virus, but not necessarily for nefarious reasons, possibly not as a bioweapon. Now, there are some who will immediately wave that off. But that's why I'm excited about this chat, because no matter where you're coming from, we're going to learn something new. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much. And we will see you again on the other side. Have a fantastic and safe Halloween weekend. Don't do anything too crazy. Um, wear your mask. No, maybe don't. What time Tuesday? Great question. It'll be at 1 p.m. Eastern time, which is 10 a.m. Pacific time. And um, yeah, it's already up on uh, YouTube and Rockfin. It's already scheduled. And I will be scheduling it here on Rumble as well um, the day before. Because unfortunately with Rumble, you only have a 24-hour window where you can schedule stuff in advance. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much. And it always takes me a minute to find the button to do the outro, which I will do now. Goodbye. Goodbye.